wish my younger self knew that everybody else was also suffering and that you don't have to subdue yourself because you're scared. Everybody else is scared too. You're not, you're not alone in, in the fear of being who you are. Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. This is a podcast for entrepreneurial women. It's going to help you build confidence, obliterate mental blocks, gain knowledge, and harness the audacity to start your business, grow your business, or just start living your life with a whole lot more fucking audacity than you have been. My name's Melissa Manning. I've founded and co-founded more than 13 businesses in 10 years. And I've got more than 45,000 hours of business operating experience that I wanna share with you. I am here to A, learn more, because we're never effing done, and B, get you to a new level, a new audacious level. So let's get into it. Okay, guys, thank you so much for being here and listening to this episode with my good friend, Nicole Pozos. Um, something you don't know is this our, is th- is that this is our second time around because we just had a really amazing conversation and I didn't press record. So we are doing it all over again. And she still is my friend. So that's good. That's good news. Yep. Um, good so news. Nicole Pozos is a gallery owner of the Pen Project in North Miami. Uh, It is a female owned and run gallery and she focuses on contemporary art done by artists of color. So I have known Nicole for what, maybe, is it a year now? I think a year. And yeah, and and I met her through our mutual friend, Liz. And hi, Liz. Yes. (laughs) And and I am so grateful to have her as a friend because we always have amazing conversations (sighs) and she inspires me with everything she's doing with her gallery. Oh, and every once in a while we are hosting women's networking events. So get, get on our Instagrams and follow us. So you know what's going on, but so to get into it, Nicole, hi, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Again. (laughs) Again. Oh God. Um, Okay. So to get started again, um, let's just talk about, tell me a little bit about the gallery and how you got started. So the gallery uh, for me is a contemporary commercial art gallery focused on contemporary painting by artists of color. Um, Mostly um, it's it's painting, it's not sculpture, it's not installation, it's not photography, I focus on painting. It's my passion, it's what I like. And I think that one of the really big important things with this gallery is that I want to make sure that I do exactly what I like and what I want and um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel like I need to be able to, whatever I do, it's my face at the end of the day that's in front of people. So I need to be proud of what the work that I have. Um, and I work with artists of color because it's really important for me to create a platform for people to understand that there's not such a small range of work in different countries, whether they're Latin American, African, um, East Asian, it doesn't matter, but, um, you know, we're not, we don't, not all Mexican artists paint Indians with sombreros under a cactus. <laughs> yeah. And um, the art scene throughout the world is more wide and ranged, wide range than what people perceive. So for me, it's important to be able to create a space and platform for artists, contemporary artists to show their work. That's amazing. Yeah. When I, 
I think when a lot of people think of like art from Mexico, your mind just immediately goes to the tourist stuff, you know, like yeah. all those little tourist booths and, and things. And they sell those artwork that it's like every booth is exactly like the other one. And that's not it. That is not yeah. it. There's so many different cultures in Mexico, but in all of these countries that you're working with. Um, and there's so many different styles of art. I mean, I've seen a lot of them. I really love a lot of the African art that you're bringing in. Yeah. Those are what I'm getting excited yeah. about. I mean, that's one of the big things with my next exhibition. It's an African exhibition, of five African artists, well, five, five artists. One is an African-American from Mississippi and the other four are Af live and work in Africa. Um, and their work is not, and it's not at all what you would think like about African art. I mean, obviously it's very visually present that they are black artists, you know, like because two of them do portraits and it's, and the portraits are black people. So you would under, you quickly read that it's African artists or black artists. Yeah. Um, but even still, I mean, it's not that like pigeonholed limited view of, you know, something kind of, I guess, like tribal or whatever a stereotype would be of African work. Um, and personally, one of the reasons why I decided that I really did want to do this exhibition is because, fun fact, my grandmother was born in Africa. Oh. Um, so I have like an odd interest in African cultures, and I actually have a lot of African things um, in my home that my grandmother brought back when she came to the United States. How old um, was she when she came here? Well, she was born in Algeria, and it was a French colony, and um, so she was back and forth between France and Algeria. But then, as an adult, she was in a she was a nurse in in Africa. So, and she was in again, she was in Algeria, and uh, as a nurse. And so, it was right when I was born that she left Africa and came here. So, she, when she came, she brought like this huge crate of things, and I have still like dresses or like sculptures and things like that so actually oddly enough African things have always kind of been in my home and in my life yeah it's part of your heritage yeah yeah did your mom grow my, up there no no so my grandmother is what they call a black foot which means that you're a, a, a white person when your foot your the bottom of your foot is black because you're born on black soil so and it's because of the French colonies in Africa and so she was a Pianoir and um, she was a what? It's in French. It's called Pianoir, Blackfoot. Oh, okay. So that's that's what they call people who were, I guess, from the the call, you know, yeah, colonizers <laughs> in other countries. Um, but yeah, there's a huge community. I mean, the artist that I have from Algeria that I'm working with, he is, um, he's not white. He's not black. He's uh, Arab. And because there's a lot of mix. And that's also a thing that I think is really important with saying, like, I have a show that's of African artists. I think that people have such a limited view of what African is. You know, there's so many different people in all. I mean, Africa is enormous. Yep. To think that it's only one person, one type of person is so small, you know, it's mentally. So um, I was really happy to be able to work with this Algerian artist who's um, Arab. Yeah. I resonate with like just my mind being blown about how much I don't know about these places. 
I love that you're bringing this to light and like creating a space where people can go and be like, oh, wow, this is African art. Oh, I never would have thought that. Oh, this is from Mexico. I never would have thought that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm Mexican. And for me, it's always been important to present myself as a Mexican. But then the more, um, you know, sometimes I I laugh at myself that the only thing I want to do is go to Mexico and explore Mexico. But like the more that I go and explore Mexico, the more that I understand how limited even my own own view of Mexico is you know like even within our own cultures um I we are still limited in our views you know what I mean like just to say that like you for example because I mean we're both from here and we've grown up here we've lived here our whole lives and we have only one perspective but that's not just a limited thing to us in the United States that also applies to people in other countries um even Mexico Mexicans are very elitist colorist and they also have the same idea of like, if you go outside the city, everybody's going to be, you know, what the stereotype is. So I think it's important um, to kind of break free of that, because like I've said to you before, and I've said so many times to many people, when I walk down the street in Mexico City, I don't look any different from other people. But when I tell people here that I'm Mexican, the shock on their face that I'm Mexican um, is one of the reasons why I continuously present myself in more, like I wear a lot of Mexican clothing or I try to wear, represent Mexican brands or makeup or jewelry or whatever. It's one of the reasons why I've like attached myself so fully to it is because I think it's messed up that we all just have like such a small view. You know, Mexico City has black people, Asian people, Jewish people, Muslim people. Mexico City has people from everywhere in the world. So, you know. That's one of the things that I think that we need to keep doing just as a society in general is like not limit things to just our I think small the, f- view. the first step is like to literally just know that we don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, to be like, okay, whatever I think I know, that is just literally a drop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We really only know a drop about everything. I mean, the more that I explore Mexico, the more that I see different types of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh. Wow. Even myself, you know, like, well, I'm sure too. Sorry. What? No, go ahead. I was just going to say, even with your art, like as you are seeking out new artists, you're probably finding artwork and artists that you're just like, Whoa, I didn't expect that. Or I didn't think that that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always running into artists that I think they surprise me right now. I have an artist that is Mexican, but his work is based on star Wars so it's funny because <laughs> he's from a beach town in Mexico, but he wor- uses a lot of Star Wars like visuals in his work. And it's kind of. Is that go, How do you the one that? behind you? No, actually, oh. the, this one behind me is the only non Latin. This is the only like American <laughs> artist that I have. <laughs> Shame. Shame. Yeah. Funny, but um, it's actually Robert Indiana who did, everybody will know the the love sculptures where it's L-O and then V-E underneath. Mm -hmm. So that's the artist. Um, But yeah, uh, all the artists are from different places. And then that's one of the exciting things is to see things and be like, wow, that could be from anywhere, you know? Yeah. So before this, before we were talking and I forgot to record, um, we were talking about how your dad was sort of the one to push you into starting the gallery. So talk about how, like, when did you decide that you wanted to start the gallery? And then 
when did you actually start? Um, so I have always worked in art. I've worked for galleries, private museums, I mean, museums, private foundations. Um, I traveled around for art fairs as a represent, like sales representative for galleries. Um, I did children's programming in art. I've done so many things in art. Um, and I, I really, like I mentioned, I've fallen, I fell out of love with commercial, the commercial aspect of art because it can be very intense, aggressive and uh, cutthroat. It becomes you not know? about the art. It becomes not about the art. It becomes about money, insurance. And especially when you work, I worked for a big private foundation and that kind of like took the beauty out of it. You know, it wasn't about like, do you feel a lot of times when people ask me, what art should I buy? Um, and I said, well, you have, how much money do you have? We'll start there. Okay. So you're not buying at this range. Okay. So you're going to buy what you like. At the end of the day, you have to buy what you like and you have to feel something for it. You have to be able to know that you're going to open your eyes. It's going to be in front of you and you're going to love it. Because unless you're investing in artwork at a certain price range, the likelihood of it growing, it's it's hit or miss. You know, it's it's there's so many artists in the world. There's so much going on. So unless you're already starting with buying an Andy Warhol, which is a name that everybody's familiar with, Unless you're starting at that point, you're probably not buying it for investment. Unless you are a niche investor, that's a whole other thing. But so when you when I was with people who were just looking at numbers and growth potential instead of art because they saw the you know sometimes they would buy it blindly without ever seeing the work, that hurt me and that made me realize that like maybe I don't love art anymore. Maybe it's robbed of its passion and that's not what I want to do. So I kind of stepped away from it. And then um, I was with my dad and we saw a space and he was like, do it. And I had been slowly falling back into love with artwork and um, I had been working online with art and I didn't expect to open a place, a physical place at all. And he was like, do it, do it, do it, do it. Let's do it. And let's do it. Let's do it. And I was like, Ooh. and then uh, then now here. <laughs> and so, so he's I just, not, I, he's I, not really involved anymore. Like this is all you. Yeah. He's not really involved. I mean, I'm a Latina woman and my parents are involved in every breath I take. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm very happy to have my parents with me at everything I do, but the, you know, the, the core of what I do here is all up to me. I run everything past them because I appreciate them and I value and respect their opinion and they're important to me. But at the end of the day, I do run the gallery. They're also the like savvy business people. They've been operating their own businesses for a long time, right? Yeah. Yeah. They are. So they're like mentors. They're like mentors. My dad is definitely my mentor. Um, and, and I'm grateful for him to see that I could do it because I wasn't, a, I've never been sure if I could do it. And, you know, we live so much time with so much doubt that sometimes we don't grow and the doubt keeps us from taking big steps that maybe we fit into, but we have this doubt, like if I do it, will I be able to do it? So I'm glad to have somebody who pushed me, um, and not to give him all the credit because of course I had to show up and do it. Well, um, so talk about like you were, you mentioned you did a lot of coaching before. Yeah. 
So um, I was in like a very terrible place and I lost my interest in all, all things. Um, and I started to do coaching for myself, for my own personal growth, because I had been in a point in my life where I realized that I wasn't investing in myself. I was always kind of like, um, putting yourself down, putting, not putting myself down, but like, um, I want to say it in Spanish, which is opacando. So like to like, no when the that means. Covered, <laughs> like, eclipsing, like when you eclipse the sun, you know, and you, you take, you, you are hiding it. yourself. Yeah. I was, I was very much hiding myself and I thought, well, maybe I'll just like get, like do whatever job. And, you know, I was just wearing gray all the time. Happy. And, yeah. And I'll just like fill the box of life. Okay, wait. You know? So, so can I give a little bit of background because I know this story um, and I just want whoever is listening to kind of have a better understanding. So you, Nicole, you were in like a really serious relationship with somebody, but the dynamic of this relationship was that he was sort of the wild one and Nicole was the one who sort of had to keep a lid on things. And so when that yeah. ended, she was so used to containing herself of not yeah. allowing herself to be as free as is natural for her. And so then after that relationship ended became this whole new sort of journey and process of almost like rediscovering herself. Yeah. Is that, do you think that's accurate? Yeah. I mean, and I also spent so much time making sure that this person was living to their full potential huh. and creating a platform for them to be sure that they could reach their potential. Yeah. And it was like, kind of like, I'm a visual person. So like I see things in my brain before they see before I say them. So I laugh in my brain because I think right now, as I'm telling you this, I'm picturing myself like bending over and like, here you go, step on my back for you to get up. Wow. You know what I mean? Wow. But that's, that's like, that's an intense visual. You're yeah. sacrificing yourself so that your partner yeah. can get what they want. But cause like ultimately your wants and desires and talents and your light doesn't matter as much as theirs. Yeah. I was also scared, you know, I wanted to be in a relationship. I wanted to excel at that. I felt like that was my purpose was to be mm -hmm. in this relationship and make sure I'm the woman for this man, you know, show up in the relationship as the best potential partner that I could be for you, you know, right. and for what your needs are, you know, and if that means like removing this part of me, not wearing lipstick, you know, because he made fun of me one day and told me I look like Ronald McDonald. Dude, dude. And so I stopped wearing oh, lipstick. You know, I, I would have clothes. I would have chopped yeah. it in the throat. <laughs> <laughs> well, now if you told me that, I would be like, bye. bye. <laughs> don't talk to me then. I don't know. Um, so, yeah. I had to like, I really, I started therapy with someone who was actually a women's business coach. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was great because she knew me in my relationship. And oh, she was like, well, I, I know that, that that person, I know that you loved that and that you thought that that was you. But now I want you to know that I've always seen these other parts of you. And if I look previous to this relationship, those parts of me were very present. I have lots of pictures of me in like bright colors and like being more like, you know, bombastic with my personality. I've always been a little bit more loud. And in this relationship, I was very demure. I was very calm, like even the way I presented myself. So, um, so 
that's where the whole like thing of the whole concept of like building myself in to be this woman that I admire. It's taken a lot of work. And I started, my first step was putting on my lipstick, which was like war paint. And like at first, <laughs> I love looking that. in the mirror was shocking. I would look in the mirror and I'd be like, oh, oh my God, everyone's going to see me. Everyone's going to laugh at me. They're going to be like, what is this ridiculous girl wearing lipstick? And now I see myself in lipstick and I just think it looks normal. Yeah. yeah. So we so just we, work progressively. So. We were talking about this before where um, we are taught that we should not want to be seen, right? We were taught that, okay, yes, you have to take care of yourself. You have to get dressed up nice. You have to put makeup on. You have to do your hair. You have to go shopping. You have to put lipstick on. But then you can't look like you actually care about that stuff. And you can't look like you actually put a lot of time and effort into it. It has to have just ooh, magically occurred and magically happened because if you do care about it then you're vain and you're materialistic right, right. and so um how so we were talking about how like because nicole said something earlier that was like i didn't care anymore about being seen and what that triggered for me was how come she's not saying i want to be seen and I think that this is something that a lot of women sort of grapple with. Number one, we sort of we're we might be in a place where we're trying to hide, right? Like we do just enough so that we don't set off any alarms socially. And right. but then at the same time, we don't really want to be noticed. Pickles, stop. We don't really want to be noticed. We just kind of want to blend into the crowd. And then once we start building confidence, then we get to a point where like, okay, okay, now I don't mind being seen. Now I can, I can be seen. I just don't necessarily want to like stop the crowd and have everybody turn around and notice me. Right. Cause that's too much, but now I don't yeah. care about being seen. And then I think the point that we all really, really need to get to is the point where we're just like, yeah, I want to be seen. I want to be seen for all of these great things about me. And, and I feel yeah. like that is such a process. And I feel like women are not taught to do that because we're taught to be modest. We're taught to, to underplay all of the good things about us. Like even for me, for the longest time, I, and I don't know if this is like the same thing or not. You tell me, Nicole, for the longest time, I feel like in business, I tried to absolutely not use any sex appeal. Like I tried to... I just tried to downplay it as much as I possibly could. Like, you know, wear my hair up, be really serious. Don't smile too much. Don't make too much eye contact. Like don't wear anything too suggestive. You know, like I, I did not want anything I achieved to be associated with the fact that I was a woman and the fact that somebody might think that I was attractive or think that they would get something, you know, physical mm -hmm. or sexual from me. Like I didn't want anything I achieved to have to do with that. And what I'm realizing now is that like, ultimately it doesn't matter. Like you, we have to use whatever we have to build the things that we want to build. And that was, that is a whole power that potentially I was uh, not utilizing for myself, but it's also a part of me that I was hiding. Like you were talking about, it's a part of me that I was hiding because I, I didn't want to associate with that part right. of myself, that feminine, that um, maybe sexual being that whatever part yeah. of me. I mean, I think you're, I think it's, it's part of the whole thing. I mean, I think as women, we're taught 
to show up perfect, beautiful. We're supposed to look good at all times. But when you tell me that I'm beautiful, I'm oh. not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to say, I know. <laughs> I wish you, you would. I mean? Oh my I'm God. Like, oh, thanks. Mm. Oh, you, you know, know I mean? like. We're supposed to be embarrassed. We're supposed yeah. to go out, spend time on our look, get our nails done, get our hair done, hair done, you know, do whatever things that we do. Yeah. But then when we're not supposed to acknowledge that we do it, we're not supposed to acknowledge that we care about how we look because we'll be vain. We're not supposed right. to acknowledge that we know that we're attractive. Right. You know, right. whether you are like a supermodel or whatever, people, everybody is attracted to somebody and there is somebody attracted to you. And you know what? As women, we need to flip that switch and we need to, we need to use it. I think it's, it's part of our charm as women. And I think that, I, I don't, I'm not saying like throw yourself on someone. Right, nor am I. Yeah, use, use the, 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 the sensuality, the beauty, the, the gentleness or whatever it is that right. you identify as your femininity, use it for your good. We shouldn't be you know, suppressing anything that's in us in order to not make other people feel uncomfortable, you know? So if you're like Sofia Vergara and you, you know what, look at it. She made it into a multi-million dollar business to be this bombshell. Mm -hmm. And there's and nobody is like, oh, I mean, maybe somebody doesn't like her. Cause you know, like they say in Mexico, I'm not a gold coin. So I don't give, I don't, not everybody likes me. I'm not a gold coin. You know, <laughs> okay. like, doesn't translate the same. Um, <laughs> no, I get yeah, it. I get sure it. Came up in my head. It's like, eh, no soy monita. So, um, but I think that you know we, we can use those things. So whatever it is that you have, I think you need to just turn it and not be ashamed of it. And just because right. you know, we've grown up our whole life with people are like, do you have a boyfriend? Ugh. You know, then we're not supposed to admit that we like work towards it or you know what I mean yeah. everything's just supposed to I think for women people think everything has to like fall on our lap we should never break a sweat and we should never be scared you know it's yeah. like and it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure and I mean like you mentioned your dad was pushing you to start this gallery and you had all these thoughts in your head that were like no 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 I can't do this I can't do this because x I can't do this because y I can't do this blah blah, blah. and and for me I was feeling like when you said your dad was pushing you to start it that it was like the universe was like working through him to get yeah. you to really do what you're supposed to be doing like your purpose is not just to be somebody's partner right your purpose right. is to is to bring more art into the world to expose more people to these new styles and these new experiences i mean every single piece of artwork is somebody's experience. Right. Yeah. And so like exposing people in Miami or, or, you know, internationally, cause you're online to these pieces is exposing them to various kinds of people's experiences over, across yeah. the world. So like, it's, it's such a bigger mission. And if your dad or the universe hadn't pushed you to do it, all of those thoughts, all of those negative thoughts and those stories and like the societal programming that we've gotten would have kept you from really pursuing yeah. it. I mean, maybe at yeah. a certain point you would have done it, but it's like. It would have taken me a lot, but I think it, like you said, it's societal programming that I put on myself to think that like I'm incapable of doing it. And I suffer severely from imposter syndrome and I'm always thinking like, 
any moment, someone's going to turn around and be like, you're dumb. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's just what I picture at all times. And, um, and it's the fear that I have. Um, but now I feel like I'm really happy. I know I've done enough work with myself to know that this is just like this like glitch in my brain that I have to keep yeah. pushing against. Um, because I'm not dumb. <laughs> no, you're not dumb at all. And because I can do it, because I can, I can have a gallery. I can open other people's views on what art is, on, on art collecting, on um, having a different experience with art. It doesn't always have to be just this one one thing. And and I want to be able to have a space that's not only accessible for artists to show their work, but for people who, it, that for all people to be able to invest in artwork and to live with beautiful artwork. Because for me. I know that if I was to live in a place without any artwork, I would suffer severely. So I want to be able to create a place where people can find work that's accessible to them. Yeah. How does your gallery differ from, because there's a lot of galleries in Miami. So how does yours differ from those? How to answer that without, um, well, I focus on painting. I focus on contemporary painting. Um, the majority of my artists at this moment are not from here. Um, and I do not focus on trendy work. Mm. I'm not trying to present something that is like just like super popular. There's, I think in Miami, there's a lot of things that are, it's like very transient work. Okay. Things that are easy and digestible and mm -hmm. can be kind of a little bit more cheesy that's what I was thinking I was thinking that word yes <laughs> you know I don't, and I'm not trying to like put Miami anybody has down a very specific kind of genre of work which is like yeah. a lot of like iconic figure a lot of like Marilyn Monroe's and glitter mm -hmm. and the beach and you know I think that to think that Miami as a city we are not just a vacation weekend spot there are people here who are educated cultured and deserve to have a valuable gallery that's presenting them with work that's not just one of a thousand you know what I mean yeah and so that's for me is important is to continue to have a, an aesthetic that is for all people I think you know like I would there's so many galleries in Miami that I'm glad that they exist because they're for someone but right. they're not for me so I want to have work that I identify with oh so that okay the for me right the for me thing I think so many people underestimate the value of their own opinion, right? Or of their own style or of the things that they want, right? So yeah. you're creating this gallery around a style or various styles. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> An artist is calling me. Uh oh, <laughs> I'll call. okay, okay. Um, you're creating this gallery around something that you wanted, right? There was a hole that wasn't being fulfilled for you in the art market of Miami, right? And so you're creating that. But I think yeah. so many people devalue that for themselves, right? They'll be like, oh, you know, I wish so-and-so place had this kind of service or this kind of product. And yeah. instead of them thinking like, oh, I could, I could start that or I could make that myself. They just, they don't think that, you know, they yeah. just- wish that somebody else would create it. Um, and so I really like the fact that you're building your gallery. You're not just 
you're not just doing the same thing that everybody else is doing because like that's safe. You know, right. you're creating this whole other space. You're creating this whole other style that there's going, if you want it, there's definitely somebody else out there who wants it. You know, you know, I worked for so long in art. There's a lot of in Miami. There's a lot of conceptual art and there's a lot of commercial decorative art. And I don't fall into either one of those. A majority of my artists are not necessarily academically trained because some of them could be self-taught, but they are m- well versed in the visual arts and art history. They're people who really understand certain concepts like color and shapes and whatever. But um, but yeah, it's not. Con- I also don't want to have artwork that you look at and you're like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like like why is there just like a string hanging? Is that art? I don't want that question. <laughs> I worked around that question for so long when people were like, is that the work? And I'd be like, yeah, that's the, that's the artwork. I want you to <laughs> walk like in. $15,000. Yeah, yeah. And I want you to walk in, see something. You might not like it, but there's, you can tell, you know what it is. You know what I mean? Well, um, you know that there was so much work and effort and thought put into whatever that piece was, even if yeah. it's not your particular style. Yeah. I think a lot of times when people go into certain types of galleries, it's, if it's super conceptual, they feel overwhelmed and intimidated by it. And that's something that I don't want. I want people to walk in and even if you don't know anything about art, you can look at it and you can say, huh, that must have taken some time. I like that. Those colors are pretty or whatever your comment might be. But like, I don't want you to walk in and feel intimidated. Mm-hmm. I want you to know that artwork is accessible to whatever your background in art is. Yeah. It's accessible to everyone. Yeah, I need more artwork in my life. (laughs) What is, you kind of touched on this earlier, but like, what is a tip for people who want to invest in art? Um, Well, so it depends on like what kind of price range you're starting with. If you have a lot of money and you want to invest in art, if if you're gonna invest at a certain price range, then you'll see growth with time. But if you are trying to invest at at a different price range, um my personal I, I can't buy an Andy Warhol so um for me in buying artwork and I buy artwork all the time I buy something at least one piece a year um but I buy things that I can live with that when I open my eyes in the morning and if it was right in front of me I could wake up and I could live with it forever it has a story it means something to me I like the colors like I said I mean I'm a person I'm a person who likes color so a lot of times it has to do with color I personally try like let's I can just base off of myself I'm not super wealthy so I cannot buy okay you're not super wealthy yet right you can't afford an Andy Warhol yet wow but I will yes I will damn straight you will but I picked a niche of work that I like, right? So I try to collect Mexican art and I try to collect female artists. So mm-hmm. I decided that I will just explore that and to the capacity of whatever the moment is. So if the moment is that I can spend $400, if the moment is that I can spend $400,000 and you know, throughout the range of my life, when as my financial capacity grows, so will my collection of work, but I've chosen a niche that I will collect in. That's just a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that people should collect things because they like it, because it means something to them. And if you're always thinking I'm going to buy something because it's going to grow in value, then I think you're going about it wrong. Unless you have a money manager and you do all of these different things, then you should just be buying things that speak to you, right. that you enjoy. 
no matter who created it. And the chances, if you continue buying work for a long time, at least one of those pieces is most likely going to go somewhere, but not all of them. It's like diversifying your stocks, right? It's like you buy a couple different pieces of artwork and you hope that at least one or two of them go up in value while the others may not. And it's just like your stocks. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to enjoy it. And, and that's, I think the number one important part of it is you have, it has to mean something to you. Yeah. That's how I feel about tattoos. It bothers me when people get meaningless tattoos. (laughs) I feel like every tattoo should have a story. (laughs) I don't know. I think that I, I, yeah, for me, you've never been in my home, but you've seen parts of my home. And I think that my home is a visual scrapbook of my life. Mm. Um, and so is my body, even though I only have one tattoo, but it means a lot to me. And, um, I, and I agree. I think that we just have to invest more in the quality of things that we have around us in order to make ourselves happy, you know, create the space that you want to live in fit in your body and, and, and around you. This is actually exactly the concept of my next exhibition. So that's really, funny. yes. Mm-hmm. Home. This is not a home. Home, home is not a place. Okay. <laughs> I said it completely <laughs> wrong. What did you say? I said, this is not a home. <laughs> no, home is not a place. It's more than a place. It's the skin that we're in. It's the location. It's a feeling. It's an experience. Um, and that's what the, work is about and actually that's interesting I never thought about it because that's really important to me so mm-hmm. yeah. um so your next exhibition is April 7th okay April I'm 7th. going it's in my calendar yes. um it will be online also it'll be on artsy and as a view uh virtual exhibition and viewing room um so anybody from anywhere can see it but it's um and exhibition on five artists, a group exhibition, four of which are African, live and work in different African countries. And one of the the fifth artists is American, African-American from Mississippi. Um, So it's different types of work. There's realism and there's kind of something more like surreal abstracts going on. Um, It's a mix of work. And I think that'll be really interesting, but they all have to do with different concepts of home. And, and home is like where they grew up, home is in your physical skin, um, home as like a mother being your home. Yeah. One, of the, one of the artists, which I think that you really like in particular, um, his work is about women. He does these realism portraits and the women are, their eyes are covered. And it's a visual representation of like our blindness to our own strength and our own potential. And there are these realism portraits, they're charcoal and pencil. They're beautiful, and it's how these, much are those going know, for? Because I'm gonna add it to my list. Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna add it, add it to my list. Add it to your yeah. list. I'm gonna manifest um, paintings into my house. Yeah, and they're beautiful. I mean, he does different sizes. This is a big format, but also, so it's about women and women being blinded to our own potential. And I think it's was interesting to me because he's a male artist, um, and I thought. Oh, but he was just like really struck, I guess, by the women in his life, um, not understanding that. And it's, that's a global thing that we're going on, that we have happening to us as women is we, no matter where we are, I think we're all a little bit intimidated by the own, our own potential. And we're always told to, um, you know, subdue it. And <laughs> it was really great for me to realize that this artist that I was working with was really, 
you know, expressing that through his work. And it made me feel really proud and really happy for me as a woman and as a gallery to be able to align myself with artists that have so much respect for women. Yeah, and insight. For me too, I feel like to have, to hear about a man who sees that and sees that so profoundly that he has to make art around it and art that is, again, profound. Like his paintings are stunning or his work is stunning because you said some of them are charcoal. And so his work is just stunning. And so to see somebody who is a male who sees that so clearly and so strongly that he has to build that artwork around it just makes me feel hopeful. You know, it makes me feel really good because I feel like so often we are constantly feeling those things and the men around us are invalidating it. No, no, of course. Like you have the same rights as me. You have the same opportunities as me, you know? Like, why do you need a woman's month? Yeah. Why, why do you only coach and, and um, consult with female owned businesses? Why don't you work with male owned businesses? Right. Okay. What do you mean, man? What do you mean? Why is that even a question? And yeah. so again, like hearing this guy who sees that it just, it feels hopeful for me because then I feel like, okay, well, if he sees it, then that must mean a lot of other men can see that too and want to help, whether it's just creating awareness around it with their artwork or however, you know, like that's a really nice thing to hear about. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So I just have a couple more questions for you because now I'm, I'm starting this thing called audacious advice that I want to do at the end of my interview. So it's just a couple of questions that I'm going to try to, uh, it's, it's going to be a pretty much the same questions for each person, but I might have to adjust them depending on who they are. So the first one is if there's one thing that you wish your younger self knew, what would it be? Uh, I wish my younger self knew that everybody else was also suffering and that you don't have to Uh, subdue yourself because you're scared everybody else is scared too you're not you're not alone in in the fear of being who you are you're not alone in the fear of being who you are whoa that's powerful I like that am I being cheesy no I mean um sorry he just keeps sending me messages um visible messages (laughs) um no, it's one of the artists and we're trying to discuss shipping from Africa. So it's, but yeah, I think that as a, a growing up, I always felt like I was so different. Like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. Like everybody's going to notice me and I'm going to be, you know, di- too different from other people. And it's, I, I don't know, you know, I, and I wish that I knew that it was okay to express myself when I was young and not be mm-hmm. afraid. And that we all have the fears of whatever it is. I, ha- I had lots of issues with my weight, with my, with my appearance with my personality, with my interests, with my views, all of these things, I was always afraid to express them. And, and I think that I, it took me a lot longer than it needed to, to, to grow into them and say, fuck it. <laughs> I like these things, you know, yeah. <laughs> who I am. I'm like making a list now of other episodes I want to do with you. <laughs> other topics so females that are out there and are on the fence about starting their business what is like one thing that you would tell them um no pressure I think yeah I don't know one thing that I would tell them um 
find a group of women and form solidarity so that you know that you're not the only one doing this because I think that if you, this is why we need women things is because we feel afraid to do it because we're a woman and we shouldn't be afraid to do it because we're a woman. We should be afraid to do it because as people starting something new, it's challenging. Yeah. So if you have a group of women who make it like desensitize the fact of like, wow, what a challenge it could, it might help a little bit to know that other women are doing it. And so can you. Beautiful. I love that. Okay. <laughs> what would you say to a woman who's on the verge of quitting, quitting her, her, uh, her pursuit of her own business quitting. Yeah. Oh, uh, the pursuit of what she dreams like, of doing. Yes. Ooh. I thought quitting in order to start something. Um, oh, not quitting her job because like, yes, quit. Um, yeah. So my, I would say what I say to myself, what I say to myself, consistency, consistency, consistency. I think that we oftentimes do things once, twice, three times. And then we're like, what the fuck? Why isn't this working? I give up. And I think that um, I recently, and have so have you, We've been working harder on reels, for example, mm. and we've been consistent and we've seen growth. And so I keep, I try to tell myself that with all things, like if you do it once and it's successful, okay, great. If you do it three times and you start getting worse, it's not because you're fucking up. It's because you just need to keep going because there's not everything is linear and yeah. things go up and down and you need to be able to ride the bumps and um, and just be consistent and keep pushing and keep pushing forward because I think that those are one of the, I admire consistency above all right now. I think that that's one of the things that people who, who grow, it's because they've been pushing even when they're not succeeding. Ugh. And I find that consistency is the hardest thing for me because I'm mm -hmm. just like, I did it once. Why do I have to do it again? I'm, I'm, I'm over yeah. it. I'm tired of it already. Yeah. I need something new. And so yeah. I respect consistency. I agree with you. I think the people who succeed are the ones who are able to keep themselves consistent. And um, yeah, yeah it's, it's freaking hard, especially if you're it's, not seeing all positive aspects results. Of life, not, yeah, in all aspects of your life, not just business, but working out, uh, starting a new hobby, starting a business, yeah. a relationship, you know? I mean, everything is about consistency. You show up to it and every day it gets a little bit better or whatever, wherever it needs to go, it will go there, but it all, will only get there through your consistency. Oh, oh, fuck, I really hate doing reels. Yeah, but you're doing so much better. Thank you. <laughs> okay, last question. What do you think needs to happen for women to get more opportunity in the business world? First of all, I think we need to stop women on women hate. Oh, yes. Because I love when people answer and they're like, more women need to be put in positions of power. Yeah, but when they get there, they need to not step on other women and they need to allow space for other women to get there too. Mm -hmm. Because I think too often um, women get somewhere and they're so afraid. We're, we're, we're so taught that there's a limited amount of roles and positions for women that when we see another woman coming up, we're threatened by it because totally. since there's only one position in the company where there could be a woman, then she's already coming in in my space. You know what I mean? Yep. We have to fight each so, other for it. Yep. Yeah. And, and we do that in everything. And um, I recently had a talk with my uncle and he was like, why do women hate women? 
I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, why are women so mean to women? Like, why are you guys like that? Like, shouldn't you guys be team, like a team? And Easy I for him that. to say, uncle. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he's right. He's right. Yeah, he's right. And he's, he's like, I don't understand why you're like, why women are like that, you know? It's like, yeah, but all our life, we're always taught that, like, another woman is a threat. Mm-hmm. Like, whether it's because she's coming in on my relationship, you know, that, like, that, like always thing of, like, you don't blame men. You blame totally. the woman, you Absolutely. know? Yep. So we're always, um, we need to stop that. And I think that the moment that we stop that will also grow a lot more because it'll be when we say, oh my God, I am now the CEO of this company and I know the best coach that we should hire for internal coaching, you know what I mean? Or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. if we don't feel like we're the token woman in there. Right. We have to accept that we can create more roles and then help each other up. For me, it was literally just a choice. Like it was as simple as making a decision to no longer look at other women as a threat to, to every time I see another woman to literally ask the question, how can we work together? What can we create together? And, and that's what I've been doing. I've created that new habit for myself that Like if ever I feel intimidated by another woman, okay, no, no, no. I have to go and like work with her. Yeah. Confront it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that animosity is often born out of fear because we're afraid that they're going to take, we're afraid they're going to take our job. They're going to take our partner. They're going to take our man. Yeah. And let me tell you that if some woman is going to walk in here and take your man, like then you don't need that man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like bye. Yep. You know, you should never feel threatened that somebody's going to take what's yours because what's yours is yours as long as you continue to keep, you know, feeding it, nurturing it. That it's rooted in scarcity, ultimately, because like we're talking about how women are taught that other women are threats, but it's also women are taught that there's not enough to go around, whether that's love, whether that's money, whether that's uh, attention or praise, you know, Mm -hmm. like, or opportunity, there's not enough. So if she gets an opportunity, that's one less opportunity for me. And so we have to stop thinking in terms of scarcity of these finite amounts of things. If I'm the CEO of whatever, and I get pushed out, I need to not think of it as like, oh, I'm never going to be able to create something like this again. I need to think about it as like, oh, okay, this, the time that I'm supposed to be working on this has expired. And now I'm going to create something else, or there is something else that I can like use all of my talents and skills on. It's not, there's not one opportunity. There's not one business that I can create. There's not one person that will love me. I was, I I feel like I'm kind of going down a, a rabbit hole here, but like I was having a conversation with my friend, Amanda, where we were talking about how she had all these business ideas And she was overwhelmed because she felt like if she were to choose one of those ideas that, that she wouldn't like that, that's it, that the other ideas would just be kind of thrown in the trash and she'd never be able to explore those. And that's scarcity, right? Like that's scarcity of time. What we have to think about in that case is like, okay, well, I can try this out. I can see how that feels. Or I can operate this for a couple of years and then I can go and try out this other one. It's like, we have to stop thinking of things as so finite, so concrete, so permanent. Everything is malleable. Everything is flexible and, and everything is abundant. If this doesn't work out with that person, 
then there's like a million other opportunities around the right. world. And, and right. that's the kind of having that perspective also allows you to keep going. It allows you not to lose momentum. It allows you to be consistent and it allows you to have energy to keep moving. Because if you feel like, oh, I lost this deal, there's not going to be another one. I might as well just quit right now. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's things that I've learned from men and that I try to like, you know, mimic from them because they have this unrealistic confidence that it just like exudes from their pores and I just like give me some like how do you model that shit yeah you guys have this like innate confidence to do what you want and I I think someone told me once like women are I mean men are used to being told no like this is how I've gotten so good at business is because I know that a no is a challenge a no is a point of negotiation no means that I have to work at finding a space and building, carving out a way for you to say yes. And um, so that confidence that, and, and he said to me, Nicole, I get no's all the time. So one more no does not hurt me and it doesn't shatter my perception of me. I never once hear no and think, oh, I'm ruined. I'm never going to do this again. I must be a failure. I hear a no and I think challenge. Mm-hmm. let's do this I was built for a challenge I was built to keep going I was built to to succeed you know yeah. and if everything just comes at a yes then like we don't learn so I think that for me that was a huge uh a huge learning tool mm-hmm. yeah I I have experienced that in terms of finding investors for a lot of my businesses where initially maybe they didn't give me like a hard no or if they did give me a hard no, then I just like, I was like, okay, on to the next, you know, it wasn't like a lot of times I think I would get like, I don't know about this, like probably not, but show me some more information, right? That's what Mm -hmm. I would get from investors. And then I would come back as if it were a challenge, like, okay, like now I got to prove it. I got to get, make this happen. Uh, And then if that person said no, okay, fine. He's just not the right investor for me. Let me go find another one. It's a challenge. I'm going to keep going until I find that person. Like there is no final no, but I do agree with you that like a lot of, a lot of women take no for no, as opposed to saying like, okay, that just means that they don't understand. Like that just means that I need to show it to them in a different way, or I need to um, help them to see what I see. Right. Mm-hmm. For, you know, no, it, instead we should be taking no as like, a, maybe I haven't educated you enough about why it should be a yes. Maybe you don't have all the information. Right. Maybe it's, it's financial, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's whatever, but maybe it's because I need to learn more about you and the process of how we're going to get to a yes together. Yeah. And Ooh, that's so good. That's, that's impressive to me with men in general, because like I've noticed, I know so many men in different businesses who are successful and I've seen them grow like whether it's from like a food truck to uh, this person who was a a private money manager you know they've all built themselves up from like the lowest point and they've all gotten a lot of no's and they've kept going and it never made them feel like they weren't qualified right and as someone who constantly is living like I said to you before I, I live with imposter syndrome and every time someone says even like a potential maybe, it's I 
some I, I do take it personally and that's the problem is we can't take it personally it's not a, no is not a reflection of us no is a reflection of them and how we can get them to say yes i love that you know so i think that that's that's impressive and and men with no skills have confidence that we can only dream of so we just have to learn keep what going. we can yeah yeah learn what we can Nicole, thank you so much for chatting with me. I've already made a list of like a bunch of other topics that I want to interview you on because again, I love our conversations. Will you please let everybody know how they can get in touch with you and info about your opening? Home is not a place opens April 7th. You can follow me on Instagram, pen.artproject or see my website, penartproject. And then if you want to see a viewing room, it will be in the link in the bio on my Instagram. So you can see the exhibition from wherever you are. And um, me personally, I am Pinata Pink on Instagram. So just living my best life at all times. (laughs) Trying to squeeze myself in there. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. It's always fun talking to you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Nicole Pozos of The Pen Project. I also hope that you can attend her exhibition this week. Please, if you liked this episode, give us a five-star rating. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe. Also, send it to your friends because we need more people to know about us. Thank you so much again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.